0: Today I'm speaking with Dr. Eric Skansen. In addition to being part of the foundation of School Pro K-12, Dr. Eric Skansen has over 17 years of experience in public school administration and 24 years of education at large. He is a seasoned leader, focusing on positive change, outstanding culture, and collaboration. Eric has served on the executive board of MESPA, Minnesota Elementary School Principals Association, since 2014. In 2019, Eric was elected as the Minnesota Elementary Principals Association (MESPA) president, a 900-member professional advocacy group. He represented Minnesota in 2019 as elementary principal of the year. He's an adjunct professor for both Bethel University and St. Cloud State University. He received his doctorate in education from the University of Minnesota in 2016 through the Department of Organizational Leadership and Policy Development. His academic core focus was on the use of collaboration for organizational improvement. Eric has used his developed models to help shape the purpose and outcomes of collaboration in multiple organizations for positive change. Let's get to the episode. I'm educational justice coach Lindsay Lyons. And here on the Time for Teachership podcast, we learn how to inspire educational innovation for racial and gender justice, design curricula grounded in student voice, and build capacity for shared leadership. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach. I'm striving to live a life full of learning, running, baking, traveling, and parenting because we can be rockstar educators and be full human beings. If you're a principal, assistant superintendent, curriculum director, instructional coach, or teacher who enjoys nerding out about co-creating curriculum with students, I made this show for you. Here we go. Dr. Eric Skansen, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I am great. It is a a nice cool fall day here in Minnesota, and I'm so happy to be on the show with you and um, excited to talk about how we can do education, do it better. I mean, I that's love our it. job, right, is is uh, to do it better every season.
0: Yes, always striving for growth. Absolutely. So I know a lot of people want to add things to their bio or they want to, like, you know, go mm. away from either the professional or talk about what's on their mind in the moment, which a static bio doesn't really do. I just want to give you space first off to say anything that you think listeners should keep in mind or know about you as we jump into the conversation today.
1: Well, uh, Gosh, outside of bio, I think uh, one thing that people should know is uh, I have a, a brood of kids at home. So I've got five kids at home, um, ranging from ages 16 down to five. So everybody's in school this year, which really, I think it's really good for us as educators to remember that um, our main constituents out here are the students and the parents. And sometimes we forget that, right? We get, we get locked in our own. A world of uh, education and talking and ed talk. And uh, we forget at the end of this logic model, it's about kids and students and families and communities. And uh, uh, it's good. It's good to have that many kids and to think about like, how does that impact my viewpoint on education as a parent? So that's, yeah. that's a cool thing to add, I think. And I think a little tidbit, uh, I like to tell people I know how to juggle fire and knives. So that's just a, uh, that's just a, like a freebie that I'm going to throw in there.
0: I love the out of left field <laughs> ideas. Those are the best. <laughs> that is a very impressive, by the way. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, only burned a few times.
0: I, I was gonna ask, like, how dangerous is this? Um, okay, well, that's good. And uh, as we think about, like, I think the the grounding that you gave us for like thinking about students, families, and communities, I just love that. And I and I think a lot about what I when I can center that in conversations. With, mm-hmm. with the people I work with, teachers, leaders. Oftentimes we're we're thinking of freedom dreaming, which Dr. Bettina Love talks about as dreams grounded in the critique of injustice. So like, how do we do that school better? Like you're talking about every year, how do we get better? And how do we ground all of it in the work of supporting and partnering with students and families and communities? All of those are big considerations. So I'm wondering kind of like, what's the dream look like for you mm. considering all those things?
1: Well, You know, one of the things that I always, I I try to end my conversations with or my writings with, um, I always give out three letters, which is PKS, which is positive, kind and supportive. And it's a really simple concept, but it's amazing how much we need to like ground back to these ideas that everybody is human and how do we treat people, treat, treat people in a human way, which for me, I like to boil it down to those pieces. Can we stay positive? Can we stay kind? Can we stay supportive? And that does not mean that it's free from hard conversations, does not mean that um, we don't take context into consideration with that. Um, But I I do think that is a reasonable ask is that when we're working with people that we stay positive, kind and supportive. Um, So that's kind of the lens that I always try to to, to deliver on is uh, positive, kind and supportive. And uh, some days are easier than others, but I would challenge everybody out there uh, to really think about what are your words that that you can boil it down to three letters, and and uh, and make that part of your motto, part of your life, part of your your work going forward. I stole that honestly from a, a friend of mine named John. Um, he used it, and I was like, I love that. I said, I'm going to use it. I'm I'm going to run with it, and I have. Um, I talk to students about it. I talked to teachers about it. I talked to administrators about it. Like. That is the frame in which uh, I like to try to move that dream forward. Um, So uh, like if to make that even bigger, uh, you know, I think education is about opportunity and experiences. And for me, the dream is how do we provide opportunity and experiences that, that, that people would not have an opportunity to do without our help. So whether that's on a small scale, if that is, um, you know, making sure that we we take particular field trips or or experiences that give access to our students that they would not previously have had, um, or on a, on a larger scale a scale is is how do we provide an education that makes kids and communities believe in what they have as a resource, um, so that they they can be contributing partners in, in this commonwealth going forward. I I really believe that it's one of the larger ideas that we have lost is that this, this idea that we have a commonwealth in our nation and you know if it's if it's a nation or if it's your state or if it's your school or your community we all contribute to this this community or this commonwealth and that would be my hope is that the, at the end of the day we've contributed to the commonwealth
0: i love that so much that is so good and i I think there's so many things that you just said that I wanted to make sure that listeners heard. And I think that that's a huge one, right? Like cont- contribution to the Commonwealth, giving access and, and the experiences that students might not otherwise have outside of education. Um, I think about this in the context of like student leadership. A lot of people talk about individual skill building but it's really, especially with youth, right? It's about the supports we offer to build up the, the leaders and give the access to the opportunities to be leaders. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this interplay of the individual and the community, um, which I just love that you you anchored this conversation. And and then I also wanted to say you anchored the. The PKS in, or I, you you caveated the PKS with like we're still having hard conversations, we're still considering mm-hmm. context, and I just think that is brilliant because a lot of people can take PKS as a concept and be like, oh, just be nice to everybody, you know, and and, and avoid the hard conversations because that hurts oh, people's feelings, right? And I love that, it you said that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's uh, it's more of a way of thinking, in um, uh, in that we can have hard conversations, we can have, uh, hold people accountable, but it doesn't mean that that we can't do it in a positive, kind, supportive way, you know, because that's modeling, right? And I like that you talk about student leadership. Absolutely. Student leadership is about building themselves, but it's also about their impact on their community or their commonwealth, because that's really what we need is is young people to grow up and be leaders who see the world in a place that they can affect, that they can um, impact and have that impact. But What if, what if they hadn't had that experiences or those opportunities? There's, there's leadership lost. There's a, there's a, there's an opportunity gap there that I want to make sure that people have that opportunity to lead in their communities.
0: I love that. And I, and I think it makes me think about too, like beyond the, you know, being leaders as adults too, like even sometimes when students lead projects within their student years, right? It is like transformative sometimes when the students, like it just makes adults listen more mm-hmm. when it's like, oh, students are leading this charge. Like I am going to either adapt my behavior, listen differently, interact differently with this project because it is student led mm-hmm. and I care about students. And so I think there's such potential there too, which is is fun.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> talking with students with the student change, it's like a wedge in the door, right? Like we wanted to do this as adults. Oh wait, no, it's actually the kids that are leading this, which opens that door, right? just enough to to open minds and open uh, hearts for for these change makers and these these deciders in our in our communities. Uh, let the kids have access to them. hundred percent. let the kids have access to them. it is it is a different approach
0: absolutely. and and it makes me think I know we wanted to talk a little bit about from a leader lens, like how do you kind of create this community? So typically what I think of, is I think of things like the mindset of the educators, the adults, right? Which I think is a huge factor in what we're talking about mm-hmm. now. It's also, you know, the pedagogy of how do you build up the skills for all students, not just your typical quote unquote leaders, right? Mm-hmm. That are like the the people who are like captains of the sports teams or presidents of the classes, right? And, and also it's like, how do we assess and have those authentic experiences and projects that are beyond just like, you know, the tests and things that school Uh typically is historically, and how do we make sure the content is, you know, co-created by students? How do we make sure uh, of that? And so I I just wonder, like, as a leader who is responsible for creating that, that culture school wide and hiring folks who are going to contribute positively to Uh that, what are the things that we, we have to consider as leaders?
1: Well, I'm so glad you brought up hiring because this is one of the things that I'm really passionate about. In in that um, finding the right people, curating the talent for your organization, and we need to remember again that context matters. It's one of my axioms that I have lived my life on: is is context always matters. So whatever it can happen in in situation A. But it doesn't mean that you can apply that in situation B. Always always be aware of the context. And to be honest, Lindsay, this comes back. I was a driver head teacher at one point in my career. And um, you know, one of the things that I would always teach kids is, yes, we need to know where we're going. You need to have the destination. But along the way, we have to make sure that um, we're making small adjustments based on the context around you. You're always you're always teaching about risk assessment. Um, and I don't like that term in this this instance, but, uh, you know, we we have to know what's happening around us so we can make the best decisions. Um, so coming back to hiring, uh, these opportunities for students, for me, uh, how do I say this? I've 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 evolved in my thinking around um, teacher licensure. Uh, I, for those that don't know, I am a uh, I'm a director of a charter system uh, in Minnesota and. Right now, we're in a teacher shortage. So we've had to really work to fill our positions. And in Minnesota, we call them tier one. Um, so these are people with four-year degrees that um, we we have a good background in the content that we're bringing them in to teach. And what I have found is that the disposition um, for PKS is really, really important. So they may be the best art teacher. They may be the Let me back that up. They may have a really good understanding of art or science or you name it. But if we can't kind of tease out that disposition of how they approach their classroom based on the context of your school, uh, there's no guarantee of of success there. So um, I think we really have to find that character piece first. So I'm going to drop another acronym here, CCC, three C's of what I look for in hiring. Number one is character. They have to have top character first, because I don't care who you are if you don't know how to treat people right, positive and supportive. If you don't have a good work ethic, uh, it doesn't matter. Number two is around competency. So this is where we're starting to talk about: uh, do we have a competency in science? Do we have a competency in math? Do we have a competency in art? And then finally, the the really fun part of, I think about teaching is craft. Um, how do you approach it? Uh, you know, what's your particular flavor? For what you do. And I think that's those are really three things that you have to examine when when hiring people to bring in your school. Notice I didn't I didn't uh, add a fourth C, which is credentials. Um, that's not in there. Um, I really do believe it's character and competency and craft that uh, determine who is the best fit for your particular school.
0: Oh, those are good. I love all the acronyms, too. This is very <laughs> fun.
1: <laughs> it's easier to remember it, right?
0: Totally, totally. And so this is really interesting. So, I think about the mindset piece that is usually the term that I use, but I love the idea of a disposition, right? So if we're not looking at anything else and we're just looking at the disposition of the mindset and the willingness to engage with students as partners, families as partners, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that absolutely makes sense as kind of like the first, like, if you don't have this, then you don't even almost, I don't know if I'm right. You can correct me. Mm -hmm. It almost seems like you don't get to the competencies in the craft, right? Like that's okay. It doesn't matter.
1: It doesn't
0: matter.
1: It does not matter. I, like I, would, I would challenge people when you are interviewing people and talking with people, we have to stop. We have to stop asking theoretical questions because any can answer those. So, you know, if, if you're interviewing with me, Lindsay, and, and I say, you know, what's the best way to, you know, approach classroom management in a, in a, in a, in a high poverty diverse school, um, anybody can answer that. Anybody can answer that, but if I change that question just a little bit and I say, Lindsay, tell me a story about a time where your classroom management really impacted the success of the classroom. And I have no problems in, uh, interrupting you <laughs> if I'm interviewing. If you're not answering the question, I'll say, No, 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 no. Tell me about your impact. Because sometimes people will will kind of wrap it together with, Well, we did, we, you know, we did PBIS at our school, and you know, we had a, you know, you you name it you know, we had the, the Spartan way or whatever, whatever it could be. No, I wanna know your impact, Lindsay. Tell me what you did on the PBIS team to, to, to work on standards of, of character. And, um, and that's where you really get at the disposition of work ethic, of character, of, um, you know, are you positive, kind, supportive? You can tease those things out and we have to do a better job of asking those questions.
0: I really like the idea of storytelling as, as kind of an entry point. And it, it makes me think too, about the opportunities for the existing staff, like the staff that's already on, on the team to storytell around some of these too. because sometimes I think, you know, we ask the questions in an interview, we get everybody <laughs> sorted. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the person who hasn't gone through an interview in 10 years, like do they know what story they would tell in that instance? Mm-hmm. And what would be the benefit of having an audience for that story or the story from last week or, you know, almost like storytelling as like an ongoing, I don't know if it's check-in, but just like almost honoring of the human teacher experience as mm-hmm. well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think this is this is a really cool idea of this offering the opportunity to share the stories almost as a space for reflection as well. I, I know this is probably not <laughs> where you were thinking of going. No, but no,
1: I-, I think it's good.
0: Yeah. I wonder what those possibilities are for like, I think what I'm thinking is you hire people who come in, right? You have these, these great hires and and you hire well, and you have a bunch of folks who are already in positions. And, and what does that look like in the hiring process to kind of bring people together around mm-hmm. PKS, around the dispositions and the, the, the classroom style and the craft and the, like, what does that look like um, to merge the new folks mm-hmm. and the folks who have been here?
1: Well, I, I think it is your responsibility as an administrator to know your team and know your people well. So mm-hmm. it, it goes beyond just hiring; it goes into a, a depth of, do I know who you are at your core? Do I know what your values are? Um, love to do values exercises with people so that I that, that we can kind of tease that out. And the reason I tell you that we have to know the whole team is because, you know, if we're hiring a bunch of um, if the team is already like an A and A and A, do we really need to hire another A? They may be a, a great candidate, but I would challenge people to think about diversity on your team. You know, when you when you go back to um, Bruce Tuchman's work around um, group formation, um, there's some really interesting ideas there about uh, letting people pass through kind of the, the storming stage uh, so that they can have this group identity. And in the end, uh, we we want to focus on task conflict. Task conflict is good. It means that in the end, we have a better product for our kids, for our teams, for our school, for our community.
0: Just Lindsay popping in here to tell you about today's freebie for the episode. In relation to Eric and I talking about co-creating community values and agreements, I think you'll love my staff meeting agenda series, which starts with a whole staff meeting agenda and the slide deck for co-creating community values and agreements. You grab that at lindsaybethlyons.com slash blog slash 148. Back to the episode.
1: Uh, the, the trap there is that when we have relational conflict that that creeps into our team. So the reason I say that is, you know, maybe if if you have four people on your team and we're trying to hire a fifth one, do we want to hire another A or do we want to actually bring somebody in who adds something extra to the team? So if you're forced, you know, if in the end you have choice A and choice B and they're both really good, I would always, always go with choice B. And that's really hard for the interview team sometimes uh, because they they are attracted to like people. Like, oh, they'd fit in so well. Well, then you're all going to be doing the same thing, right? You're all bringing the same strengths to the team. So uh, it's about balance and diversity and making sure that uh, that we have a nice balanced team going forward
0: yeah it makes me think of the the, the middle of these interviews usually i'm, I'm talking about brave actions and it, it makes me think of brave actions on multiple levels like brave actions as the leader right who mm-hmm. who is coaching almost the hiring committee to make these decisions uh, brave actions for the parameters or the almost like checklist of like we are going to focus on character first, and competencies, then craft, right? Like mm-hmm. we, you're kind of putting that out there, Absolutely. and then also bravery in like how do you almost like how do you assess bravery in the candidate to be hired as well, right? In the in the storytelling and, mm-hmm. and those things. So I don't know which one of those directions you want to take it, but my brain is going all of
1: oh my, um, well bravery, yes, I I love brave people. Um, that sounds like such a like generic statement, but yes, I love brave people. um, Courageous people, people who are willing to speak up and talk. And again, that doesn't mean we get to be a jerk about it, right? So that comes back to that disposition of PKS. Like, how do you find those people that like, can do that in a way that is positive, kind, and supportive? Um, Yeah, I, I mean, part of this, for me, points to the fact, too, that we don't do a good job of of training our interview teams before going into these interviews and setting expectations of what it is exactly that we're looking for. Like all too often, I think we just, hey, do you want to serve on the team? Yep, come on in. We're interviewing Tuesday at one. Um, Oh, you're not available. Okay, you know. And that's how these interviews are usually set up. And I'm appalled because a lot of it even goes all the way up to our top school leaders. Like the haphazardness that happens when, when we're pulling um, an interview together, it has to be so much more thoughtful. In you know, what are the outcomes we're looking for? What is the exact skill set that we're looking for? Um, on top of you know, character, competency, and craft. And what ha- I, I mean, I've seen it so many times. We ended up in interviews, and there's these biases that happen. And without the training on the front end, and really bringing out uh, a specific talk around. You know this idea of like confirmation bias or um, stereotyping bias or halo effect bias. I love that one. Um, that that's when we're influenced by one positive aspect of of an interview person. Oh, they said they were really great at technology. Really? They said they, you know, they had a Google classroom. You know we like we we attach meaning in in interviews. And without the training that happens at the front end, um, it's really set up for disaster. Similarity bias, that, that's the one I was trying to think of in that, oh, I really like this person. I feel like I could you know, be best friends with them. That's not what we're asking for here, that we're not interviewing for your best friend. We're interviewing for a great team member.
0: Oh, I love that idea. So I, I'm just kind of like taking notes here. It seems like we have the clear expectations of who we want in the interview committee, set those, we have the training for the interview committee. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the outcomes beyond the CCCs. And also like the skill set that we're looking for, in addition to considering the existing team that that person is coming into and diversity there. Mm -hmm. And then all throughout, we're kind of checking against that training for all of these biases. Does that sound like a good summary?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this is why it gets so uh, jacked up about interviewing and like the hiring process is we, I don't think people do it well, to be honest. I think there's a lot of people that um, fall trap to the, the common missteps and they're not diligent about setting up the interview in, in a balanced way. Um, I would even challenge, you know, sometimes when we have uh, these these interviews for our our largest and biggest ed leaders in a district, there is a trap there to be this sounds weird, but too inclusive where where all of a sudden our interview team is 30 people around the table and um, more than likely close to 30 of them have never been part of an interview process before or have taken any work in um, HR and and know the legalities of what you can and can't ask. Um, So then it actually makes, if you're going to do that, you have to spend the time training the interview team on what what you can and cannot ask. You have to bring out these ideas around, here's some bias you may experience. So giving them the language to identify the bias when they when they hear it um it's just it's so important as we're to do this with some some fidelity and some intentionality so that because again at the end of this logic model all these things affect how our schools run how our schools contribute to our commonwealth and the success of our kids going forward um it is all interlinked. And and we have to do a better job of recognizing the links between hiring to our school success to um, happy, healthy classrooms and communities.
0: I love this. And, and it, may, it made me actually think about the inclusive feast. I, I definitely have been in, in, in an interview position where there's like 15 people around the table and you're like, who do I look at? And like, there's mm-hmm. questions everywhere. I, I also have thought about, you know, the process that a lot of folks go through demo lessons with students from the school they'll be going mm-hmm. into. I wasn't sure if you have like a recommended kind of series of things, like is there the interview, the demo lesson, are students part typically part of the interview committee or is there feedback when they're part of like a demo lesson? I, I'm just wondering about the student voice in this as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that really depends on how much you can allocate um, for time and, and effort. And I would argue that you should. Like to whatever nth degree, slow down, make good decisions, include the people that you want a voice from. Um, as long as you know everybody has kind of been well informed of what we're looking for, um, and I I do love the idea of student voice in there. Um, again, I think it's really important that if we're bringing students in to share their voice, how do we give them some information of what to look for, some look for's. Um talking about you know what does what does a good teacher look like? And in the end, we're building student leadership, right, by bringing them in and training them. So um, yeah, I think it's it's really important. You know when I think about kind of the standard protocol that I would go through, um, I definitely would have an assessment up front for the the school body or the organization that allows everybody to kind of have input into the skills that we're looking for or even more importantly, the skills our school doesn't have. So I don't like the deficit model, but I think it's really important as we're looking for somebody new to bring in that we're not just getting more of the same. So having a a systematic look at what our our organization or our team currently doesn't have. Um, You administer the assessment, you assemble the team, um, you train the team, conduct the interview, which again, very deliberate about what questions we're asking. Uh, if we're if we're not looking for a classroom manager, I don't know why we wouldn't, that's a bad example, probably, but you know, take whatever skill it is. If we're not looking for that, then don't ask questions about it because in essence our our school's got it covered like we're we're good there. Um, and then uh, you have to have a moderated deliberation with somebody who is not invested in the outcome. I really, really believe this. Like to, to have a facilitator, a moderator, so that when all the ideas are coming out, somebody can go, that sounds a lot like the Halo bias, you know, or um, you know, we're not going to discuss that. That's actually not a legal question. You know, somebody who can in it can can facilitate that interview. And typically it it does fall on a school leader because the, the, you know, we're trying to move so fast, so fast in our hiring. And I believe that is because we are in a scarcity mindset that we're we're gonna move fast and pick somebody because if we don't, somebody else is gonna get them. I challenge the narrative on that. Slow down, you will find the right person.
0: Yeah. What one of the things I was going to ask you about, and I think you've probably covered it, but I wanted to give you space for it, is like the challenges that that happen in this work. Is there one challenge that you're thinking maybe a a, a leader who's listening would be facing? either that you've addressed and you're like, this is the one to focus on and this is mm. how you get around it or something you haven't brought up yet. You're like, you should be aware of this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think th- th- there's always tension around internal, external candidates. And I think if you do not have a good succession plan in place in your organization, I really challenge leaders to think about that. And and that doesn't mean that we can't go externally But I think every interview, um, especially for school leadership positions, should have a balance of an internal and an external. However, you have to control the process to make it fair for internals and externals. I would say especially internals, I've seen over and over where um, people will bring in extra information about the internal candidates. You know, As an internal candidate, they're going to know a lot more about you. So how do you control for those biases that we talked about? Um, you know, this is where you'll get like the, uh, I think it's called the horns bias, you know, like, like bad person horns, um, in that, you know, one person had a bad experience with this person and they now have moved that bias to a whole new level of, they're going to be a horrible principal or a horrible school leader. Well, I, I don't think, you know, that actually, you know, let the person talk about their experiences and leave about all leave out all the other things. It's almost like in a jury where um, you have to take into consideration everything that was said. Um, And there's some evidence. It's like, nope, that you cannot consider that. (laughs) It I think it needs to be a lot more like that. Um, But it's very difficult. It's very difficult. I, I fully acknowledge that in the front end.
0: Oh, that's such good advice. I I had never even thought about that balance and all the considerations that go into that. So thank you. I'm I'm really glad I asked that. <laughs> thank you for that answer. And, and I think as we kind of wrap up our conversation, there's a lot that leaders have to consider. And it mm-hmm. seems like a lot more setup than we typically do out of that scarcity mindset, the rush, all mm-hmm. that stuff. So if there's one thing that a leader listening can kind of come away with and say like I'm going to at least start here Mm -hmm. what would that one thing be that you would recommend to start with
1: well I would say do your pre-work and be intentional about uh everything leading up to that interview I know that uh, a lot of districts or a lot of organizations maybe won't have um the resources to do it to the nth degree that I'm talking about um but I would also challenge that it's it's not that expensive to to make a a right choice you think about the cost of attrition um, our turnover that happens in districts, um, not only uh, the the physical dollars of it, but um, the mental anguish and the starting over and the resets that happen, we don't have. We, we we cannot do that anymore. We we have to stop treating it like the 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 weekend picnic where we bring the chinette and we throw everything away at the end of the picnic. Um, we we have to consider this more like a grandma's fine china. Is that when we are having somebody come in? We want to treat them well. We want to take care of them. We want to promote them so that we can build them up and take care of this fine china instead of throwing it in the garbage and then starting over again. Um, So be intentional with how you set up the interview, how you set up the interview team, how you train the interview team, um, the skills that you're looking for. The whole process should uh, feel very, very intentional and not haphazard.
0: That is such a beautiful point. And I think it connects to this idea of like, a lot of times people will say we're hiring for racial diversity or you know whatever it is and these are great goals but if you don't actually treat the process like the fine china if you don't build the culture where someone coming in is going to merge well with the team and to feel like they belong and are valued then that is it's going to be a rotating door because mm-hmm. you can't bring someone into a hostile culture and like be like oh well we quickly hired like no problem i think that is something throughout hiring that I constantly see struggles with. And it's like, exactly what you're saying is the antidote, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like,
1: well, and and think about it in four different cognitions, And this is probably leads into like, we could have a whole nother show on this, but we really were just talking about one aspect of, of organizational success here is, is this hiring and search process. Once they're there, we got to build up the whole organization around them, you know, and that means the best speakers, the best um, you know the best trainers and don't be afraid to reach out for resources externally i i see this mistake over and over is that we'll do it we'll do it ourselves we'll do it ourselves because it in some ways it feels easier but there are people that spend their life's work in these particular areas you should lean on them the third part is is personal development how do we make sure that our our school leaders our teachers everybody is also in this space of personal development so outside of pedagogy outside of these other areas. Are they balanced? Are they coming to school healthy? And then finally, a really good strategic planning process that is not just a poster on the wall, that is actually linked to actions, that is linked to outcomes, because all four of those areas actually link together in in organizational success. We have to take care of the macros, the micros, and the future, and the now.
0: Wow, that's that could be a whole other episode. That is a great <laughs> framework. And, and it actually leads to my next two questions. They're related to those first two, I think you shared. So the one about personal development, this is necess- not necessarily academic personal development, but I'm curious to know from each guest I always ask, what's something you've been learning about lately? And this could be mm. anything.
1: <laughs> what have I been learning about lately? Um, I have been trying to be a better cook and griller. Um up until this point in my life, I have not been a great cook, and I, I feel like I've really increased the pitch of my, um, my productivity in the last uh, three, four months with my grilling, my smoking. Um, I did some, some jambalaya last night that I thought was actually really good, so I feel like I'm trying to learn more in that area.
0: Oh, that's very impressive. Excellent. And then the last thing I wanted to ask is you recommended people reach out and there are people who do this stuff, right? So, and I know that's very tied to another role that you have in addition, in addition to the one we've been talking about today. So where can listeners learn about what you do? Do you want to share Mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Recommendations for how to connect with you, that kind of thing.
1: Sure. So I have a day job. Um, My W-2, as I said earlier, is uh, executive director. But I also have a whole uh, side thing that I'm really passionate about. Um, It's called School Pro. And you can find us on internet, www.schoolprok12.com. And I want you to think about this as an educational concierge company. Um, And we work with people across the nation, um, the best of the best. We do uh, kind of what I talked about earlier, just like a curating and a screening process to make sure that um, the right people are matched to the right organizations. So there's no haphazard Um, attachment of you have to have this person, you have to have this person. It is more of tell me about your local context to make sure that the right person can come in. So we provide um, keynote speakers, professional developers, executive coaches, skilled mentorship, um, all those areas of the the four quadrants that I talked about. Um, Strategic planning. Um, Again, our job is to make sure that that you're successful. Um, So that's what we do. We, we match the right people to the right schools in the right districts. And uh, it has been an amazing experience, to be honest, uh, to be able to offer these, these services to schools who come knocking.
0: Amazing. And we'll link to all of that stuff in the show notes and the blog post for this episode. Dr. Sanson, thank you so much for being on today. It was a pleasure.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. And, and uh, enjoy and stay PKS, positive, kind, and supportive. If you like
0: this episode, I bet you'll be just as jazzed as I am about my coaching program for increasing student-led discussions in your school. Shane Safir and Jamila Dugan talk about a pedagogy of student voice in their book, Street Data. They say students should be talking for 75% of class time. Do students in your school talk for 75% of each class period? I would love for you to walk into any classroom in your community and see this in action. If you're smiling to yourself as you listen right now, grab 20 minutes on my calendar to brainstorm how I can help you make this big dream a reality. I'll help you build a comprehensive plan from full-day trainings and discussion protocols like Circle and Socratic Seminar to follow-up classroom visits where I can plan, witness, and debrief discussion-based lessons with your teachers. Sign up for a nerdy, no-strings-attached brainstorm call at lindsaybethlyons.com contact. Until next time, leaders, think big, act brave, and be your best self. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.